And if and if you and as you know, if you give me an hour and a half, I'll give t- I'll take two. So, <laughs> a man in Memphis said, "Did you know H.O. Toller, Hosey Toller?" Okay, he said, um, <clears throat> "Brother Holman doesn't need a watch; he needs a calendar." <laughs> he said, "A sermon doesn't have to be eternal to be immortal." So. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Well, we're in Romans 8, uh, and in that passage, we've gotten to verse 5. I was talking to some friends that uh, uh, Jerry and Linda met in church this morning, Les and Nancy Binkley. They, we, we went to the same church together for more than 10 years in Memphis, and uh, uh, he, he told uh, someone, that uh, Les told someone that he had been Jim, our son's uh, t-ball coach when Jim was five. So you can see how long we've been around these folks. Uh, but uh, he was telling me, he went to the Men of Memphis class that was taught by the college president at, in Memphis. And uh, Les was a, was a uh, dentist. So there was something that happened in his schedule. He said, I quit going uh, when Dr. Crichton was in chapter four of, of Romans. And he said, I was able to get back to the study two years later, and he was in Romans 7. <laughs> so I want you to see, I'm doing a whole lot better than that. So, <laughs> so uh, chapter 8, verse 5, uh, in this section, Paul is going to kind of bring together the comparisons that we've been making since chapter 6 of life in the flesh, life in the spirit. And what's going to have to, what we're going to have to do, this uh, specific passage is going to take us through verse uh, uh, 18, 17. Um, what we're going to have to do eventually is to talk about for sure what life is. Most of the time in Paul, when we read about life, we think in primary terms of eternal life. But Paul has a different take on life in this passage, and I'll, I'll try to point that out to you. It creates all kinds of problems. In fact, this whole passage from 5 through uh, 12, 13, creates all kinds of passages, uh, problems. I looked at several study Bibles this week just to see what they say about this material, and, and uh, people who teach at Southern Baptist seminaries say that, that if you look at verse uh, 13... If you live according to the flesh, um, I'm, um, for if you live according to the flesh, you're about to die. And they say that means die spiritually. That's problematic, isn't it? Um, so we've got to figure out what this stuff is that we're talking about life and death in this passage. It's not what we're accustomed to. It's not obvious to us, and we'll have to go back through chapter 6, and I'll bring up some material in in chapters 6, 7, and 8 on the screen so you can see it, and see what life means as we work through this section. So, verse 5, and I'd like to read 5 to 8. We got our feet wet in it last week, but let's uh, go back to it now. Uh, For they who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, and those who are according to the Spirit on the things of the Spirit. Um, for the mind of the f- mind, do you have mind of the flesh? Is that what you have? Mindset, mindset, mindset is a great uh, expression for this. Mindset is h- how you think. It's not so much what's in your mind as, as it is the method that you use for thinking. What what are the basic <coughs> sets of assumptions that you hold with reference to spiritual uh, things? Um, that control every decision you make, every thought you you have. So the mindset of the flesh is death. The mindset of the spirit is life and peace. Because the mindset of the flesh is hostile to God. It's not subject to God. I'm sorry, it's not subject to the law of God. Indeed, it cannot be. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Well, we've been talking about flesh now for a long time uh, in our studies. But I'd like you to go back just one more, just so we see what's going on, to 7 verse uh, 5. In 7 5, Paul makes a statement that if flesh is primarily my desire for sinfulness, 
doesn't make any sense. Um, when we were in the flesh, the passions of sins which are aroused by the law were at work in our bodies to produce fruit for death. But now you have been set free from the law, having died to that by which you have been held, so that we serve in the newness of the spirit, not in the obsolescence of the letter. What does it mean to serve in the letter? Live by the law. So what's the point in verse 5? What, what relationship does flesh have to, um, uh, to the law? What I've been saying right along, since, as, at least since this point, if not uh, probably in chapter 6 at some point, we probably introduced this. Flesh is what we have always thought, uh, but Paul's terminology is a little different, indwelling sin indwelling sin is a capacity to sin even against our own will which is an odd concept to us but you know this I mean, you've gotten into situations where you've done something you're trying to do what was right you in fact did the exact opposite of what you wanted to do yes or no have you done this so if that's the case how can we account for that when I when I sin deliberately I understand why I sin yes it's when I sin Contrary to my will, that I don't understand. What's going on? W- would you grant that? Mm-hmm. Right? So, uh, what is it that causes indwelling sin to go to work to produce sin contrary to our own wills? Well, in a sense, that's what the latter part of chapter 7 is about, beginning at verse 13, um, uh, all the way to the end. I, I, I take delight in the law, but I find the law. That to me, who wants to do the good, the evil is present. So that it is, it is the interaction between law, any law. It doesn't have to be any particular law. It can be any law. Uh, my favorite professor gave an illustration several many years ago now, but his illustration was, suppose you are a citizen of Dallas. And you have never broken one of the laws of Dallas, ever, not once. You have scrupulously obeyed all the laws of Dallas. And so on um, uh, city council day, when they're meeting, uh, you go before the city council and make appointment to get up before the council people and speak. And you say, I just want it to be known to the city council that I have never broken one law of the city of, of Dallas. And I'd like a plaque made out in my honor for never having broken the laws of Dallas, what might the council people say? Uh-huh. <coughs> yeah, but what might they say? You, you've just done your duty. You, you, this, is not, this is commendable to the extent that you have done it. But it's your duty. You don't get rewarded for keeping the law. It's your obligation. Would, would that make sense to you? So I gain nothing by it. Uh, the law, in fact, however, engages my indwelling sin to produce acts of sin. In that light, let's go back to Romans 5, uh, 8, verse 5. Um, those who are according to the flesh are not those who are pursuing sin. All of the study Bibles that I looked at, they're the ones that I have on my software, so I just looked at the ones on the software, but there were several of them. All of them said living by the flesh means living in sin. But that doesn't even make sense in the context. In the context, is Paul talking to people who are struggling because they are, they are just so in, 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 uh, deeply in sin, they, they can't do anything else? Or are they trying to gain righteousness by a different means than by the grace of God? And that's the latter point, is it not? And just to put this in a a total context within the book of Romans, in Romans uh, 14 and 15, you have the last part of Paul's, uh, the body of Paul's letter. It it ends at 15.13. In in 14.1 through 15.13, there are two groups of people. We've talked about this on many occasions already. But in that passage, there are two groups of people, one that Paul calls weak, 
who, for the sake of his particular uh, presentation in Romans 14, are people who eat vegetables only. There's another group who in 15.1 he calls the strong. They are people who eat meat as well as vegetables. So mamas, it's okay. You can settle down. They don't just eat meat. They also eat vegetables. But, but um, the weak, he says, condemn the strong. And the strong despise the weak. And we've asked on several occasions since we started our study, which one's right? Neither of them is right. Because you are not commended to God by avoiding meat, nor are you commended to God by eating meat. As he says in 14.17, the kingdom of God is not food and drink. It's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And as I said to you in recent days even, incarnate righteousness walked the pathways of, 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 Judea, of Judea and Samaria and Galilee in the first century. And they crucified him as a lawbreaker. The righteous crucified him as a lawbreaker. Is that true or false? Well, yeah, but they, they're the people who called themselves righteous and who everybody else called righteous. Crucified him as a lawbreaker then true righteousness cannot be the righteousness of the Pharisee. Uh, as we looked in Philippians chapter 3, Paul renounced that righteousness, that he might have the righteousness of God through faith. Are you with me here? So when we're talking about flesh in Romans 8.5, we are not talking so much about our tendency to sin. We're talking about something else. So here in verse 5, Paul makes his, he states his basic principle. Uh, those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. Those who are according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. Uh, we gave the illustration last week. According to, the law of, uh, according to the Pharisaic interpretation of the law of Moses, you cannot walk, you, you cannot walk on the Sabbath more than 2,000 paces from your home. Okay? Um, so what do you do if you have to go 4,000? Well, as we said last week, if you will take food for three meals, for a day's meals, and put it out 2,000 paces from your home, you can go there. That marks your home, and you can go another 2,000 paces, so you got it made. Yes? Well, it's called, it's called, this is actually called casuistry. Casuistry is, is using the law, turning the law, twisting it, so that you can you can accomplish what you want to do. Um, what spinning is our is our modern term for that. Um, the uh, so so. What are they focused on? The heart, the the real spirit of the commandment. No, they're 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 focused on what can be measured. Yes, they're focused on what is external, not what is internal. Uh, Fred. They do it in Israel today, too. Yeah. Been there, if you go to a hotel, they have what they call the Sabbath elevator. Yeah. And if you want to go from the first floor to the eighth floor, you can't push the button because you'd be creating a spark which starts the fire. Yeah. As long as the elevator is, is programmed to stop at every floor and no one pushes the button, yeah. you're okay to get on the Sabbath elevator. Yeah. Stop it until it gets to the eighth. I'm, I'm, I forget the order, but they usually go. One to three to five to seven to six to four to, th uh, to two to one. And so it's just automatic. You, if you're going to catch it, you hope you're catching it on the way down instead of on the way up. But, uh, uh, but this, is, this is the uh, issue. We talked about legalism, and I've, I've defined legalism as uh, being described by several characteristics. One, legalis legalists always have to redefine the rules. Because if they don't redefine the rules, if they take them as they stand, then they can't keep them. Uh, take Matthew 5 as an example. You, you know what I'm talking about. Yes, in the Sermon on the Mount, you've heard that it was said to the ancients, you shall not commit murder. But I say to you, whoever hates his brother, see, if I take the spirit of the commandment, then I can't keep it. Are, are you with me here? So in order to be able to keep it, I have to be able to re redefine it. When I redefine it, 
Secondly, I use it as a tool to, to get power over other people to control. If I'm a successful legalist, that's the way I do it. If I'm an unsuccessful legalist, I allow somebody else's definitions to, to, to uh, control me. So I'm under somebody else's control. Because, brothers and sisters, humans are a lot better at controlling the spirituality of other people than the Holy Spirit is. Um, third, legalism has to deal with externals. It cannot deal with internal issues. It simply cannot. So the old thing, gosh, you're getting tired of this by now, I'm sure. Whoever loves the pastor comes on Sunday morning. Whoever loves the church comes on Sunday night. Whoever loves the Lord comes on Wednesday night. Well, isn't that dealing with internals? And the answer is no, because if you want to get power in that church, all you have to do is come three times a week and tithe. <laughs> Amen? Uh, which is 10% of the gross, not of the, of the net. Right? But you ignore the actual teaching of tithe in the Bible. See, because there are three tithes, not, not one. Okay? And one of them is on your total wealth. So if you ignore the actual commandment and then redefine it, you deal with the externals, not with the internal attitudes. Uh, there was a fourth. Ah, uh, externals are things that can be, can be measured. The moment you make a rule that is external, that can be measured, it can be counterfeited, and, and you have now taken it out of the realm of actual spiritual life into the realm of just rules for mankind. So, so it becomes an irrelevancy if you keep those rules. How can I... How can I stand before God and said, well, I kept the rules. And he said, but, but he would say, but you didn't keep mine. You kept man's. No, 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 no. You, you commanded. No, I didn't command these things. Where in the scripture is a Jew not permitted to eat with a Gentile? And the answer is, it's not. There is no such commandment. Are you with me here? And yet the church nearly sacrificed its, her- its, its very treasure. At the very beginning, because Jews wouldn't eat with Gentiles, Galatians chapter 2. Are you with me here? Um, So those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh is not talking about trying to be evil. It's talking about trying to find ways to be good and to measure it and to be able to assert, I got it. It's, It's mine now. I have it. Are you with me here? So what is the opposite? What is the alternative? Look again at verse uh, 4. So that the righteous decree of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Nobody ever thought that the flesh would be, I'm sorry, that sinfulness would fulfill the righteousness of the law. So we can't be talking about that here. But, but what is the difference then between um, walking according to the flesh and walking according to the spirit? Well, it's between law and grace. And notice here how important the term spirit is. We think of this as being the Holy Spirit, and it is a reference to the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit's main uh, mode of operating is by? No, well, of course. The Spirit's main mode of operating is by grace. And how do you live by grace? Through faith. How do you know that? Turn back, yeah. Yeah. Turn back to Romans 4. The Bible tells me so. It's chapter 4, verse 15. The law produces wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. For this reason, it is by faith, in order that it may be by grace. Well, according to grace is, is uh, yeah. Uh, so that the promise might be assured to all the seed, not to those who are the law only, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham. 
So grace and faith deal. <laughs> uh, grace and faith work so together, and they're actuated by the Spirit. So I can't think of the one without thinking of the other two. So if I say, start thinking about the Holy Spirit as our way of living, folks, living by the Spirit is not is not refusing to work. Living by the Spirit is working by faith. Am I making sense? Yeah. Could you say that what you're explaining right now is very helpful for me? That what I thought for years, but I thought I was there is that you keep saying oh, yeah. stupid stuff too. And it's like uh, what you're describing right now is a new creature in Christ. Mm-hmm. And basically what you're describing, yeah. what's the difference between me before and after? One is I tried to please God. Next one, Jesus did it for me. Yeah. Yeah, so that's essentially it. Thus, now, yeah, Fred. Then would it not also be true that if flesh did refer to the uh, sinful nature that no person by Matthew five standards could ever claim to be yeah, spiritual? That's right. But um, this is an oddity of of Jewish theology. They've never made a big issue of the fall. Uh, Genesis 3 doesn't play a huge role in their thinking. Uh, every human being, and, and you've heard this how many times, Fred, has a, uh, I'm trying to think of the English term they use, the, 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 the good Yatzer and the bad Yatzer. The good, intention's not quite the word, but we have, this, we have this goodness in us and we have this badness in us, and we balance them poorly or well over time, but effectively I have these two tendencies in me, and that's the problem that we have. They haven't confronted the fact that there is none righteous, no, not one, Um, except my mama, who was righteous. (laughs) Verses 6 through 8 then spell out some of the implications of this. Those who pursue the law and works cannot please God. If flesh is sinfulness, of course they can't please God. Why even make the statement? He said that back in chapter 3. Why do I have to go back through it in chapter 8? But if flesh is is trying to gain righteousness by your own works, then hear, hear what we say here. Let me paraphrase it so you hear it. The mindset of works righteousness is death. But the mindset of grace righteousness is life and peace. Um, because the mindset of works righteousness is hostile to God. It is not subject to the law of God. Indeed, it cannot be. Those who are tied up in works righteousness cannot please God. Now, that's the shocking thing. It should be. Shouldn't it? You got somebody who's lived a good life. You know people like this, don't you? As Josh McDowell says, there are a lot more righteous people in the world than there are in the church. Because Jesus only saves sinners. (laughs) So that you should find people in the church who have significant spiritual problems is not something that ought to shock you, something you ought to embrace. It's the church. It's what it's for. We had a fellow in Memphis who said, church is not a hospital. And I thought, well, then where is the hospital for the spiritually hurting? Are you with me? Uh, In a sense, we ought to have hospital beds instead of pew seats. Yes, ma'am. Didn't Jesus consider the Pharisees lost? Of course. Because they don't think they're lost. He has to convince. Paul has to convince the weak that they are not better than the strong. And if I can prove that about anybody, it's true about everybody. You follow? He has to convince the strong that they are not better than the weak. We're all saved by grace. So whatever pretensions to righteousness you have that you have earned for yourself, they're false. 
The only, the only claim to righteousness I can have is what we called last week from Martin Luther an alien righteousness, one that is not my own, one that comes from outside, something that is granted to me, not something that I have uh, uh, established, earned on my own. Yes? But aren't the words strong and weak inherently implying some values? Yeah, uh, and, and that's a good point. Um, who, who used the term weak? Did the, the people who ate vegetables call themselves weak? No. Who called them weak? The strong. <laughs> who called the strong strong? The strong. <laughs> so he's, he's even attacking those pretensions. <laughs> so the, the, the issue for us is uh, to realize that Paul is undermining all capacity, every, every attempt to establish some hierarchy in who's better and who's worse. Who's more uh, open to the blessing of God, who's less open to the blessing of God. Yes or no? Yeah. Right. But who tells us not to compare each other? Yeah, Paul says not to compare. Um, so, uh, we c- comparing uh, the, the false teachers in 2 Corinthians, Paul says they compare themselves to themselves. <laughs> so, going on here, let's, let's pick it up then w- again with verse 6, uh, rather, um, verse 7, because the mindset of works righteousness is hostile to God. How can that be? They think they're keeping the, the, the commandments of God. Don't they? Well, they think they are. Well, yes, they think they are. That's what I'm saying. They think they're keeping the commandments of God, don't they, Rick? They're taking away the cross. Well, the, the issue is even deeper than that. I can't make any pretension to righteousness. I'll go back to Romans 3 and verse 10. As it is written, there is none righteous except my new grandbaby. Except my mama. You remember Vinnie Barbarino? Yeah. Vinnie said, my mama is a saint. No, she's not. She raised Vinnie to start with. <laughs> but there is none righteous, not one. There is none uh, who understands. That do you have? There is none who understands in verse eleven. That's uh, uh, let's see. That's taken from Ecclesi- or actually from Psalm fourteen. Psalm fourteen draws on the terminology of the book of Proverbs. People who think they are righteous have no understanding. They have no wisdom. There is none who seeks God. But I heard about a missionary who went into a village and said they, he started preaching the gospel and they said, we knew this had to be the case. Some, we've, we've been looking for somebody to come and tell us these things. How does that happen? Assuming that it's true, how does that happen? Because the Holy Spirit precedes the ministers of the gospel. Uh, all have turned aside. They have together become useless. There's no one who does goodness, not even up to one. Is that true? Look at verse 19. We know that whatever the law says, it so says to those who are under the law. So it's true about Israel. In order that every mouth be uh, stopped and all the world held guilty before God. If Israel can't make any claim to righteousness based on the law of God, nobody else can either. So it's simply the case that all pretensions to righteousness must bow before the cross. We must renounce all of that in order to be right with God and to live in a way that God calls righteous. So back to Romans 8, verse 7. The mindset of works righteousness is hostile to God. It isn't subject to the law of God. Turn to Mark 7. The 
the Pharisees and some of their scribes gathered to him when, he, when they came in from Jerusalem. And seeing some of his disciples eating with uh, unclean hands, that is, without washing. Now, mamas, without washing doesn't mean soap. No soap was used. They ran their hands through running water, and that was it. Okay? This is not about getting the dirt off your hands. It's about getting uncleanness off your hands. Because you might touch something that a woman had touched. I'm serious. I'm not using that to be funny. That's that's the way they would reason. Uh, Let me skip down to verse 5. The Pharisees asked him, and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples walk contrary to the tradition of the elders, and they eat with unwashed hands? They eat their bread with unwashed hands. And he said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy about you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain they honor me, teaching as their, as, their, uh, as their teachings the commandments of men. Having abandoned the commandment of God, you hold fast to the traditions of men. And uh, he said to them, Is it well that you set aside the commandment of God to establish your tradition? Folks, we ignore. Folks, I grew up in a tithing church. But we ignored the biblical teaching and did only what we wanted. We said you had to tithe on your net income, not, I'm sorry, your gross income, not your net. But one, one of the tithes, the, the one that's given to the Levites, is on the whole wealth of the land. It's not on your income. Are you with me here? Leviticus chapter 27. So if that's the case, none of us tithed on the value of our homes and our furniture. Are you with me? Nobody even talked about doing that. So we establish our rule and ignore God's. Do you do well when you do that? Moses said, honor your father and mother. And the one who speaks evil of father or mother must be put to death. But you say, if a man says to his father or mother, it's a gift, uh, whatever you might be profited from me, you no longer allow him to do anything for his father or mother. And knowing the word of God by your, tra- your tradition, which you have received, and you do many such things as this. Now, what are they doing? They're saying this. Um, you know, my mom's health is going down, and the doctor's bills are getting heavy for her. And if I don't do something, she's going to drain every dime I've got. So I'm going to make a vow in her name to the temple of all the wealth that I have. It's in her name, so it means she can't use it. But I can because it's not in my name. And they claim to be righteous by the law. See, this is the problem, Kathy. We're right back to the question you asked. He's undermining every pretension to having done something that's righteous. Once you start redefining the law of God, you can go any place you want to, and you typically go in directions that will be most advantageous for yourself. When you, when we, we talked about this when you made a club when you were kids. You made rules, and they were the rules to exclude people that didn't fit in the categories that you and your friends belonged to. <laughs> So back to Romans 8. Because the mindset of law righteousness is hostile to God, it is not even subject to the law of God. Indeed, it cannot be. And that's the shocking thing. Pharisees would have bristled at that. But they're not subject to the law of God, and they can't be. They're they're subject to the law of the Pharisees, but they're not subject to the law of God. And finally, verse 8. They who are in the flesh, those who pursue law righteousness, cannot please God. If Paul the Pharisee did not please God by his law keeping, nobody can. And Paul the Pharisee was 
as regards the righteousness which is by the law was blameless. Yes or no? Hmm? Yeah, it's what he said in Philippians 3. And as far as being a Pharisee was concerned, he was. He was blameless. So, what does that mean? Well, verses 9 to 11, those who live by faith are indwelt by Christ's spirit. And while alive in the spirit, in dead bodies, they await with confidence their resurrection with Christ. So, verse 9. But you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. And what, is, what are the associated terms with spirit in, in these chapters of Romans? Well, we've got, we said there are three terms that fit together always in Romans here. Spirit and faith and grace. So, you are not in law righteousness, but in the spirit who operates by grace and faith. Um, if the spirit of God dwells in you, and if the, if the spirit of Christ doesn't, if anyone doesn't have the Spirit of Christ, he's not his. Are these two different spirits, the Spirit of um, God and the Spirit of Christ? And the answer, of course, is no. Um, some want to make a distinction so that you have the Spirit of God, but then what you really need is the Spirit of Christ. But the passage doesn't even suggest that. Jesus, uh, uh, later, uh, look at Romans 9. Um, Um, verse uh, 5. Uh, he's talking about the privileges of Israel here. And in verse 5 he says, Theirs are the fathers, and from them is the Messiah according to the flesh. And what's the rest of the verse read in your text? Who is all over God, blessed forever. Yeah. Who is this one who is above all God, blessed forever? Christ. So the Spirit of God and the Spirit of Christ must be the same Spirit. If I am a follower of Christ, then I'm a follower of a Christ whose Spirit leads by grace and by faith. Yes, sir? Um, 9-5, yeah. Oh yes. Yeah. And they're real Christians. Oh yes. Just confused in their mind as to their full acceptance. Yeah. This is the way I grew up. Many of us grew up this way, and an awful lot of Christians are this way. Folks, listen. Grace is decentralizing. It means I can't control. So the the organization, to the extent that the church is an organization, it can't live by grace. To the extent that it's an organism, it has to live by grace. can't live otherwise. There's one head to the body of Christ. And, it's, and, and that, that, that one head to the body of Christ is not spelled P-A-S-T-O-R. But Jim, it's human nature. I know. I get therefore I must give. That's the point. And we'll never be able to get rid of that. Well, we will be able to get rid of it. Number one, yeah, in the resurrection... Number two, we can now be alerted to it and what it does and the detrimental effects of it and then learn to live by grace, learn to live by faith. No, I don't disagree. No, no, I understand. Yeah, it is human nature. You're right. The problem is that human nature is fallen. And so, so I've got to embrace these things. Uh, verse 9 then, you are not in the flesh but in the spirit if the spirit of God dwells in you. And if anyone doesn't have the Spirit of Christ, he's not his. So if you belong to Jesus, then you have the Spirit of grace. You have the Spirit of faith. Yes? He's going to say this again later. Look at verse 14. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. You have not received the Spirit of bondage leading again to fear, but you have received the Spirit of adoption by which we cry out, Abba, Father. So one of, the, one of the functions of the Spirit is to teach us so much, to teach us grace, that at every moment we may sense the intimate fatherhood of God in our lives and respond in light of that intimate fatherhood of God. His ministry is not to make us feel guilty. I don't find that in Scripture, folks. It's been ingrained in us, but I haven't found it in Scripture. 
He convicts the world of sin because they do not believe in Jesus. But us, for us, his job is to draw us near to the Father, to give us the sense that we belong to him, that we are his, and that he loves us. We talked about discipline a couple of weeks ago in Hebrews um, 12. And their discipline doesn't come to us because we're bad. It comes to us because we're his sons. Jesus was disciplined. Was he not? Hebrews 5, uh, 8. Though he was son, yet he learned obedience through the things that he suffered. Uh, So Jesus was disciplined not because he was bad, but because he was son. Yes? And if therefore we are God's sons, we are disciplined, but it's because of the love of the Father, not because of his anger. Yes? I'm going to disagree a little bit about human nature. I think we're born without the ability to love God and serve Yeah. Him. But our parents teach us a basic rule for conditions for 18 years. Be good and don't be bad. Yeah. And if you're good, you'll yeah. get rewarded for it. Yeah. That's a learned behavior. And that translates right into religion. And if it's whatever is learned can be unlearned. There is there's a, you're a new creature, yeah. you can unlearn that. There's a fly in the ointment to that explanation. Uh, name me a society on the face of the earth that doesn't have that same basic assumption. Including criminal society. You do what we want, you get honored. You don't do what we don't want, you don't get honor. Then even people who don't believe, do good, get good, uh, still practice this very same thing. It's, it's universal in the human race. It's not unique to our culture. If what you're saying is true, it would be unique to our culture because not all cultures teach children that. Some do, some don't. But it's inherent in the way we are. We are. Uh, so, so they all teach obedience is, is, is a, it's going to reward you. Yeah, but that's my point. All teach that. It's not learned behavior. It's inherent in the in the human heart. Well, Jeff, goes to what you said earlier that the, they don't give me a, a certificate for not breaking the law. <laughs> the reward is you don't get punished. <laughs> <laughs> you don't get sentenced. Yeah. So. Yeah. So if we have the Spirit of Christ in us, that's the only way we can be saved. Because, yes. Because the body's never going to get it. The body has to be redeemed. It's not yet redeemed. And, and we'll see that before we're through with chapter 8 next year sometime. Verse 10. Now, Romans 8.10. But if... Um, but if, the, uh, but if Christ is in you, the, and here, Linda, is your point, the body is dead because of sin. Uh, but the spirit is not alive. What is it? It is life because of righteousness. Now, I've got to stop for a minute and say, what, what then does life mean here? Um, and I have uh, on the computer a program set up to do this. What I want to do is take you back through chapters 6, 7, and this early part of 8 and look at life. It's going to be important that we do this because some things are coming up that if we don't see them, they will be, uh, so, so if we don't see this, things will get confusing. What I need is this. Um, Verse 2 of chapter 6. What is life? By no means. How can, we, can, how can we who died to sin live anymore in it? What does it mean to live in sin? Can't hear. I hear lots of comments, but I can't, I can't make any. Governed or controlled by it. Governed or controlled by it? Uh, or how about just practice it? 
Yeah, but it may or may not be. I mean, there are things that I practice that I'm not controlled by. I used to practice the viola, and I don't practice it anymore. It, I never did. was controlled by it. I wish I had been. <laughs> but, uh, um, so I can practice things because I'm alive, yes? But what's the alternative? Look there in that same verse. What's the alternative? What's the option? <coughs> dead. What would dead mean then? Not practicing. Uh, we can go on here. Um, we are buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Well, what is that newness of life? What, what is this newness of life that we're talking about here? Yeah, spirit-led righteousness. Yeah, learning to walk by faith, learning to live by grace. And thus, as Paul says in Romans 8, to fulfill the law. Um, for if, when, if we have been united with him in uh, a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. What will resurrection mean for us in terms of sin and righteousness? Mind you, this is the context, is it not? What will resurrection mean for us in terms of sin and righteousness? Uh, Well, not the old self. Resurrection? No, no. I'm new to... A new person. A new being. Yeah. 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 Yeah, a new being. New creation. I won't practice sin anymore at all. I won't ever commit it again, right? So life means... Able to, or, yeah, well, what have we been saying? Let's do some more. Verse 7, I'm sorry, uh, 6, we know that our old self uh, that's, <coughs> was, was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. If we're alive, we're not enslaved to sin. Then what are we enslaved to? Righteousness. I'm able to practice righteousness. When I'm alive, I'm able to practice righteousness. Let me throw in the, op- uh, the opposite issue here. We, we'll, we'll look more at this as we go, but I um, want you to see death now. Come on. Sometimes it's slow. Well, it is complicated and takes a good deal of time to learn to use it. Um, did you see it? No, the yellow is... Yeah, that's not my point. What I'm look, trying to look for is death, and it's not coming up for some odd reason. Um, to err is human. To really foul things up requires a computer. So. Uh. Hmm? Well, no, not really. Because it's going to come up in red when it comes up. Uh, I don't know why it's not. No, no, you, no. They're they're cumulative. They're not. Uh, uh, they don't work in in opposition to each other. My my point is to say, folks, when you are dead, you can't practice righteousness. Yes. When you're alive, you can. Let, let's look on some more of these. Um, now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him, yes? Uh, then practicing righteousness or practicing sin? Only righteousness. Um, verse 11. So also, you must consider yourselves dead to sin. Dead means I don't have to do it anymore. I must learn to think of myself as dead to sin. I don't have to do it anymore. I used to have to do it. That's all I could do. Even when I was obeying, I was sinning. Because we've defined sin as being anything that's done without faith. Yes or no? I am not here teaching sinless perfection. What I'm teaching is that we have the capacity, because of the presence of Christ in our lives, to practice the righteousness that we long for. And you do it as you live by grace, as you live by faith, as, as you live by the Spirit. Spirit 
filled life is not living some new stage of spirituality. It's living what every Christian has the exact opportunity to do, the precise opportunity to do. If you're indwelt by the Spirit, the Spirit is there to produce His character in you. Is that true or false? Then if it's true, I have every resource I need for righteousness for the rest of my life. I'm alive. But when I go back under the law, what happens? Go to Romans 7. Um, So, um, verse 9. I was alive formerly without the law. What does that mean? Given, well, let's, let's keep it in context of chapter 6 and 7. What does it mean to be alive without the law? No, I'm, I was alive without the law. No. What, what, did, what, what did it mean to be alive in chapter 6? Yeah, which means? I can practice righteousness. Yes? And so Paul here is alive, able to practice righteousness without the law. Folks, that, that, that phrase, chapter 7, at the head of verse 1, wasn't written by Paul. It's a, it's a distinction we have made, Paul didn't make. He didn't know this was chapter 7. Okay? He's just following his thought right through from chapter 6 into chapter 7 on into chapter 8. And we, we see these barriers and we stop our thought for chapter 6 and start new thought for chapter 7 because this new chapter. No, the idea flows right on through. Look at chapter 7, um, verse 1. What's the first word in the verse? Or. or. What does or mean? What does it signify? There was something before, was something before that is an alternative to what we're talking about here. So he's still building on the same concepts in chapter 7 that he gave in chapter 6. Daryl and I have talked about this very principle how many times, brother? Yeah. So, so if I was alive formerly without the law, what's Paul talking about? This is when he came to Christ. Do you remember those early days? Some of you do. Some of you don't. But do you remember those early days? What was the Christian life like to you in those days? It was unbelievable. The freedom, the joy, the... Yes? Well, what happened? Then the commandment came. How does he say it? But when the commandment came, sin came alive. Sin's got eternal life? No. What does it mean that sin came alive? And did what? Producing acts of sin. And I... And I lost my salvation. No, no, no. no? what happened? He went back to works righteousness. But going back to works righteousness means he's able to practice sin again. Rick? Uh, I've had a lot of experience with people who literally take grace and turn it into the law. Yes. Words, everybody, you're under grace, okay? Then you say, now we have capacity to practice righteousness, but some people do it better than other people. Mm-hmm. And right back into law again. Mm-hmm. And that's when, and these people will go to the extent that if you don't do it good enough, you will lose it. Mm-hmm. And I, I can't, it drives me nuts. I know. It does me too. This is why I. <laughs> Why I'm so belaboring this point. Yeah. Uh, but he goes on. Uh, uh, so, so the commandment came, sin came alive, and I died. He didn't lose his salvation. Folks, you can't lose your salvation by keeping the commandments of God. Look at Galatians chapter 5. Do you know you can fall from grace? Okay, some do and some don't. Well, I can prove it to you. The Bible teaches you can fall from grace. Galatians chapter 5. Verse, um, uh, verse 3, I solemnly declare again to everyone who is circumcised that he is a debtor to do the whole law. Now, the verse 4 is, is um, 
there's a, a word in it that's very difficult to translate because it's so broad, has so many different possible meanings, it's hard to know exactly what to do here. Let me paraphrase it. You have lost the power that comes to you from Christ. You who are trying to be justified by law, you have fallen from grace. How do you fall from grace? Yeah. Trying to get the favor of God by your obedience. You fall from grace. Falling from grace. Folks, if you're keeping God's law, you cannot possibly lose your salvation. That cannot be the point. Then, what is it talking about? You don't have the power to live the Christian life when you're trying to live by the law. The law offers no help. It's only the Spirit who offers help. And, he, and His help is perfect help. So, so back to Romans 7 and verse uh, 10. Uh, I'm sorry, verse 9. I was alive formerly without the law, but when the commandment came, sin came to life and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. Not that he lost his salvation, but that he lost the capacity for the righteousness he wanted to do, the righteousness that he was pursuing. Isn't that what the latter part of chapter 7 is about? I delight in the law in the, in the inner man. You want to do what's right. Do you not? But when you do it by rules, you have no power for obedience. When you do it by faith, all the resources of the Holy Spirit are immediately at your, at your resource, at, at your, um, um, I can't think of a word to use here. Disposal is the word. Um, now let me, uh, let me go on back to Romans 8. You can go through this. Sometime go through Romans 6, 7, and 8. Look at life and death and see what the text is saying about life and death. So back to Romans 8. Um, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, the one who raised Christ from the dead will make alive even your mortal bodies through, the, through his spirit who uh, is in you. And then he goes on to verses 12 to 17, and he comes to a kind of climax here. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you are about to lose your salvation. What does it mean to live according to the flesh? Try to earn God's favor by your obedience to God's commandments. But when you do that, you're about to die. What does it mean to die? Well, not able to... You can't practice the righteousness you want. Folks, we're desperately afraid to trust God. I am. Aren't you? I'm desperately afraid to trust God for you. Because I can control you better than he can. So verse 13, for if, if you live according to works righteousness, you're about to die. But if by the spirit, grace, faith, you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. You live by faith. When you live by grace, God's spirit is at work for, in you to, to do away with the deeds of the body. What is astonishing is... We have, we have people all over the world, brothers and sisters all over the world, many of whom have never even seen a Bible except at perhaps a distance, can't even read often, but they're living a, a pretty, pretty healthy, pretty advanced Christian life. Is that true or false? Well, how does that happen? They don't have preachers there who are teaching them the book of Romans for two years. The Holy Spirit's at work in their lives producing fruit well that you know you know Galatians 5 22 and 23 don't you I don't so I have to turn there Galatians 5 22 and 23 I know what's there I just can't quote it um, but what's at the end is awfully important um, the fruit of the spirit is love joy peace long-suffering goodness uh, perhaps gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. no law. And no law can enable these things either. 
You want the fruit of the Spirit? You've got to learn to live by faith. You've got to learn to live. And this is nebulous in itself, learning to live by faith. But when I learn to live by faith, it's not that I quit my job and trust that God's going to provide everything for me. I take God at his word. If a man will not work... That's why Paul admonished the Thessalonians. Yeah. If a man will not work, then what? Neither let him eat. So, if God makes a job available, I should take it. Yes? I should work. Why? So that I'll be rich? No. Paul says elsewhere. Let each one work with his own hands that he may have something to share with those who are in need. Yeah. So, so my point is, I, I start looking at the commandments not as ways to get God's favor, but, but as ways to see God's provision, to see God put, put to action within me things that otherwise, some of them, I don't even want to do. But he goes on, verse uh, 13, verse 14. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. And we've asked this question how many times now? What does the Spirit lead us to do? Turn left at the intersection. Well, what in the context does the Spirit lead us to do? To, to trust, to live by faith, to live by grace. Um, for you have not received a spirit of bondage leading again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption by which we cry out, Abba, Father. I trust God enough that even in the midst of great trials, I sense his fatherly intimacy, his love, his delight. Yes? He who said, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Died in the abandonment of God. But now he says to us, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So even if he were to call us to go to death with him, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Is it not the testimony of people who have suffered greatly for their faith that the Lord was present with them and intimate and caring and giving them his love in, in the midst of such times? This is Romans 3, 5, 5, 3 to 8. This is the passage that Paul is returning to, Romans 5, 3 to 8. He introduced the idea in chapter 5 that he's now going to, to develop in the rest of the chapter, and that is the role of suffering in the Christian life. So he says, verse 17, uh, I'm sorry, verse 16, the same spirit, or the spirit himself, testifies with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if we are children, then we're heirs, heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ. Uh, there's a guy named Francis Lyle who was a, a British lawyer did a study of ancient uh, of uh, Paul's legal metaphors in the epistles and he was uh, especially a uh, an expert in ancient Roman law and what he found in Roman and Greek law in fact and what he found was that Greek law had no such category but Roman law did to be a joint heir an heir is one thing a joint heir is another an heir um, when Jan's grandfather died, her, her, her grandparents had five children, so they had a very small house. They sold the house and divided the inheritance up among the five children. Before the money could actually be dispersed, her dad died. Her dad had four children. So each of the four children got one-fourth of one-fifth of the estate. In that case, you hope you're an only child. <laughs> <laughs> But a joint heir is a different thing. A joint heir, according to Roman law, is a joint heir inherits the whole estate with all, along to, uh, together with all other heirs. Then we're joint heirs with Christ. Yes, brother? Even in our society in adoption, I adopted two children, and there came a point where you, we went before the judge, and... and what he said in essence is what the legality was that this child, should you have other natural children, is going to be a joint heir hmm. with them so that you couldn't distinguish. Yes, yes, yeah, right. But in that case, a joint heir doesn't, under, under American law, doesn't mean quite the same thing <coughs> it did in Roman law. But the, but the point is well taken. The adopted heir is not distinct from the other heirs. 
So Jesus, we are joint heirs with Jesus, but it's not the end of the verse. If we suffer with him, that we may be glorified with him. Um, To understand this, uh, we'll have to wait until next week. (laughs) Uh, But uh, to understand this, it's going to take the resurrection because, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians, eye has not seen, ear has not heard, neither has entered into the heart of men the things that God has prepared for those who love him. Folks, I'm probably not even able to value what God has prepared for, for me at this point. I'm still playing with the wrapping paper instead of with the present. Yes, Rick. Uh, I, I, I think there's some other mentioned something in there. There's a difference between when it comes to a new creature type, knowing something and feeling something. Yeah. So when I'm under tribulation, I don't feel the grace of God. But that passage that I will never forsake you, I do know mm-hmm. that will give me the faith to get through the tribulation, even though I don't feel safe. And there are God, there are times when in suffering. We'll talk about this is the whole passage from the, here to the end of the book, of the chapter, is about suffering. So we'll have a lot of time to talk about this. But the, there are times when under suffering, God draws back and, and doesn't give us intimacy. Uh, folks, do you not realize how important faith is? Your faith is so important that God sometimes, he never abandons us. But sometimes he doesn't give us the sense of his, of his intimacy because he wants all the angels to know what real faith looks like. And when there's no obvious reason to trust and you still trust, that's one of the greatest things you can do for glorifying God. There are other times in the midst of great suffering that he comes and gives us his intimate compassion and his love. Yes? And then, then we get the benefit of it. But the greatest glory that we can bring to God is to trust him when there's no obvious reason to do it. Let's close with prayer. Father, I don't understand faith yet. I wish I did. I don't practice it well. I wish I did. But Father, you affirm to us the importance of faith, how critical it is. And if Jacob can be affirmed because of his faith, if Gideon, if Barak, if Samson can be affirmed because of their faith, then we have hope. So give us your Spirit's work to, to seal in us what is true from what we've spoken today protect us from whatever is false in what we've spoken but but cause us to know what it is to live by your spirit to live by your grace and to trust you for jesus sake we pray amen